from a severe angle, and now Tafoli pushes it ahead for Penner. Penner wants to go back to Tafoli and just missed him with a pass. He would have been all alone in front of Corey Crawford. Now Tafoli again out of the corner with it. Puts it right to the blue paint. A chance here for Boyle. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 14 of the Sportscasters. It is June 5th, 2013. We are coming to you live from Buffalo, New York. I am Steve Bennett. Across from me is a playing hurt playoff hockey yeah, type bit, Don Ross bit. here. Not hospitalized or anything. but No, just battling a little bit. Yeah. A little bit of Nick's, uh, you know, a little bit of a Nick and bruise here. Right. All the stuff that podcasters are going through this time of the playoffs. Absolutely. You know, it gets to be a grind this time of the year. Uh, welcome to the show. Got a great show for you today. The Sportscasters OG original guest Jeff Passan <laughs> is on the show today, and also something for fun. Uh, not anyone that we expect to draw twenty thousand downloads or anything, but Malcolm Kelly, uh, former wide receiver at Oklahoma and for the Washington Redskins, going to join us. We don't do a lot of athletes on the show. We usually only do athletes when, for some reason, the opportunity arises, uh, or right. you know, like if somebody comes to us and says would you have this guy on like in the case of Kirk Morrison of the Bills that was kind of something that came to us or when we have a athlete who wrote a book like when John Smoltz was on the show or when it's something that we just want to do like in the case of Deuce McAllister and today uh, Malcolm Kelly so Jeff Passan and Malcolm Kelly are on the show and uh, if you if that doesn't interest you too much and you want to check out last week's show episode 13 where we had Chris Burke from SI and Ed Sherman from the Chicago Tribune and the Sherman Report. You can check that out at our website, www.sports-casters.com. You can always tweet us. We're at sports underscore casters. And you can follow us on email. You can email us to sportscasters at gmail.com. Anything else before we get started, Don? No, I don't think so. Let's get into it. All right, let's roll. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. Alrighty, I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. Alright, first thing tonight. Like we've been doing the last few weeks, sharing the NBA and NHL playoffs, and we are down to two. In the NBA, the NBA Finals start tomorrow night, uh, Thursday. The San Antonio Spurs, the champions of the Western Conference, face the Miami Heat, the the champions of the Eastern Conference. And the question that we've been asking all the basketball guys during the playoffs is, would the Heat face a Game 7? And they finally did in the Eastern Conference Finals, which turned out to be a much tougher series, I think, than most people anticipated the Pacers would give the Heat. Especially yeah, not, not so much the game seven, but the rest of the series. Yeah, the game seven was really interesting, and I wonder if the distractions that came up between game six and seven with the comment, the no homo comment by oh, Hibbert. Oh yeah, yeah. I wonder if that played in at all. I, I tend to think it probably didn't. I think that what happened was the Heat kind of woke, woke up, up a yeah. bit. You know, yeah, they got a scare. And, yeah, they got a scare. Their backs were against the wall and. The best player in the world 
do did what best players in the world tend to do in that spot, and that's kind of rise up and take control of the game. And LeBron certainly did that in the third quarter, and and the Heat ended up ended up taking care of their business. The Spurs have been sitting and waiting a while, and I I wonder how that you think a veteran and older team would that would be to their advantage, but it also might be to their disadvantage initially in the series in that first game. You know, will it take them a whole game to kind of get back to the level that? the heat were just forced to be at two days ago. Right. And I think sometimes they say you got to lose to win. And I know, I know the heat have lost their, the championship, whatever it was two years ago now, but I think that series might help them in the long run against the Spurs. They'd probably be a favorite regardless, but because they were pushed and they had to kind of gut it out a little bit. And it was a good wake up call, I think on the way to the finals, because they might not get that easy a game seven from the Spurs if it comes down to it. Yeah, so the Spurs and the Heat, I, I would tend to think that the Heat have been the team that everyone has thought is going to win this thing all year. They had the big, long winning streak, and they had their scare last round, and I, I just kind of am of the opinion that they will take care of their business. It might be six or seven games. It might be another difficult series. There's a lot of veteran, prideful champions on the other side, like Parker and Ginobili and Duncan, and they're not going to be an easy out by any means, and they could definitely... They have the ability to win this, but I, I just think the Heat have been the best team all year. They've been the team that, in the words of Dennis Green, we've crowned a long time right, ago. Right. And uh, I just assume that they will they'll be the better team. And, and maybe we should get a hold of one of our guys for next week as you know, we're a couple games into it and see see where things are. Talk to Jenkins or Ballard or Tass or something like sure. that. But uh, that's the NBA. That's where we're at there. The NHL is apparently not going to have a very good round three here. No, so it, it seems. Luckily, the Kings did what the Kings have been doing all season, it seems like, and that's losing on the road right. and winning at home. Last yeah, there's night, some crazy stat. like They've won like 14 in a row at home or something ridiculous like that. The last one they've lost, I believe, was like game three in the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah, they've been they've been really, really difficult at home, and they had their really they had their rock bottom game it seemed like in chicago in game 2 but one thing that they did there is even though they were kind of out of the game they didn't stop playing and they got a couple of goals later in that game and it seemed like they kind of took that momentum and rolled it into a good start in the first period of game 3 and uh, then they they held on late and uh they're back in that thing i i would yeah. I almost kind of th- expect them to win game four. I kind of feel like that series is going to be tied they won when that, we go back to Chicago. They won that game, which was obviously huge. And now uh, Duncan Keith faces a hearing today, I believe. Yeah, bad, a bad play. And it's almost like right away he wanted it back. Right. You know, because so, right away he's kind of apologizing to the guy. And it's it was a rough so kind he of might, slash he might to the be face. Out, he might be out tomorrow. For, what do you think? Or It's so hard to guess because they can be so inconsistent. But I, would I, think I didn't it's a actually game. see the play. It looks like a game to me. It looks like a game. Most people seem to think he's going to get at least one. Yeah, that, that would be my guess. In the East, the Pens have unraveled so far. Uh, really, really tough game one and game two at home against Boston. And that's the thing against them that the Kings had for them. After two bad games in Chicago, the, kids went, the Kings went home. After two bad games in Pittsburgh, the Penguins have to go to Boston, and they'll play game three tonight at the TV Bank Garden. And I don't know, to me, it just looks like Boston is a better team. Yeah, I was And t- I don't know if I expected that going in. No, I didn't for sure. Um, Pittsburgh's 
I don't know if it's coaching, but they're being badly out tactic. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and I mean, Boston has worked really hard to get the matchups they wanted. Right. And even at home, Pittsburgh couldn't find a way to avoid those matchups. You've seen Chara on the ice with Crosby most of the time. But Pittsburgh is, is a team that should be out there trying to win games 5-3. to three. Not a team... I mean, you've got Dan Bilesma before game two saying things like, whoever scores the first goal might win this game. That's not his team's game plan at all. I mean, he should have thought that in game two when they were down 3 nothing and scored that late goal that, okay, we're going to get right back in this. I mean, Marshawn went on to score seconds later. But for him to say that they want to win tight games, that that's exactly how Boston wins games. That's not how Pittsburgh wins games. So Boston is really showing off their depth, I think, in this round too with guys yeah. like Nathan Horton getting big goals. and As much as I dislike that team, I kind of like the way they're built. I mean, uh, they don't have a ton of... I know Tyler Sagan was two. two. Yep. But beyond that, I mean, and he's not even... He's not scoring much. No, he he's hasn't been a role player, much really. at all. So yeah. it's it's easy to like the way they build that team. They've kind of developed players, and they've gotten good work out of their free agents. I mean, Charo was a trade at one point. But, uh, yeah, Pittsburgh, they were playing clips of uh, their last coach. can't remember, French-Canadian guy before Bilesma, and he was saying the year he got fired, I can't think of his name, but he called them out bad, like in a saying the team that players don't want to play. And, boy, I don't – I don't. I mean, they've won a cup. They've been to a cup since then. Tarion was the guy. Tarion. Yep, that was your Tore place. Tore them apart. And I don't know if we're seeing that now. Uh, they're just – they're flustered. They seem to be easily rattled. Having seen three games – in well, two games and then three games in the one. What 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 do you think the cup will be at this point? Uh boy, it'd be hard to say anything but Boston Chicago. I think I hope Pittsburgh comes with a different mindset today. I hope they don't think they're gonna beat up the Bruins or like Evgeny Malkin shouldn't be fighting Patrice Bergeron if they want to win these games. They the Bruins got to be laughing at that in the locker room. So I would have expected and Crosby looking to get his jaw knocked into the oh roof in goodness. game one. From Chara, mixing yeah. it up with Chara, it's like, no. I was shocked the way they came out game two. I, I was totally shocked. I expected, okay, they got kind of embarrassed and pushed around. Well, and- I think their goaltending really hurt too because, well, they give up the turnover right away. And Boston scores on the breakaway in the first 30 seconds. Then they kind of pushed back for a bit and they were getting some chances. But then the next chance Boston had was in the net, and it was right. two to nothing. And it kind of all fell apart from there. That's the worst possible start, too. Uh, not that Marshawn is without skill; he's a skillful player, but he's he's got to be one of the most hated guys in the league. So their their guy that you love to hate goes out and scores a goal because your captain kind of whiffs on a he pass. He whiffed it. Yep. So ugly, ugly start to that game. I exp- I wouldn't be shocked if Pittsburgh goes out and wins tonight. Uh, but they really need a, a change of mindset. If, if they don't, they might not win any games in this series. It, it might be a 4-0 series. Big news this week, maybe almost as big if not bigger than the NHL and NBA playoffs, is the Major League Baseball has steroid troubles again, and this time it's expected to hit as many as 20 players, including big names like A-Rod and Ryan Braun, and I believe they said – A-Rod would be facing a 100-game suspension. 100-game suspension. That'd be $17 million he'd lose. I mean, we've talked in the past at length about the problems baseball has with steroids, but the league itself, 
I think penalizes it right. I mean, 50 games for a one game or for the first offense, 100 games for a second offense, and a lifetime ban, I believe, for your third steroid offense. So baseball doesn't take this lightly, but players seem to need this advantage, I guess. But, yeah, an anti-aging clinic called Biogenesis. Yep, it's in Miami. In Miami yep. is at the, the front of all this. and. And they have a cooperator. Major League Baseball has some kind of cooperator. So this isn't right. necessarily something based on failed tests, right? This is something based on, I guess, hearsay. Hearsay. At this point, if you want to believe. We we talked about Peterson and uh, another football player, Maurice Jones-Drew, getting into some legal trouble. And we said those are guys you give the benefit of the doubt. I don't think I give anybody in baseball the benefit of the doubt anymore. Well, especially not a-Rod and Ryan Well, Braun. no, no. You know, they're not going to get the benefit of the right. doubt from I mean, anyone. Maybe a Derek Jeter or somebody would still get the benefit of the doubt. But beyond that, I mean, there's not many guys in that league that it's just there's a stigma over that whole league now, and this certainly isn't going to help it. Yeah, I guess Tony Bosch is the guy who's at the uh, the center of this for, from the Biogenesis Clinic. And there's names like Malky Cabrera and yep. Bartolo Colon involved. Uh, guys who have been suspended last year because of things that res- revolved around this clinic. Um, and now A-Rod is, you know, it seems like these PED stories are all kind of fueled by how big the name is associated with it. Right. And they have big names this time. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, Nelson Cruz is another one for the Rangers. Uh, Gio Gonzalez of the Nationals. Uh, although a source told ESPN as far as Gonzalez goes that he received only legal substances. Okay. So he might not be facing a suspension. How do you think they fix this? I mean, the the punishments are harsh. Uh, why do players still feel the need to do it? Should they be tested? I think you just have to keep upping the ante. Yeah. You know, and you just have to get you, – you have to – the problem is is that it always seems like the doper is one step ahead of the tester. Right. And I don't know how you bridge that gap. And these are not the same steroids when you talk about, like – professional wrestling of the 80s steroids right i mean these are harder to detect yeah they're more uh more about healing designer right you know they're they're slicker but still i mean if you look at all those wrestlers uh the radio show opie and anthony for the longest time had like a wrestling like a wrestler death so much tragedy in that that they would reset every month i mean it, it would not hit a month before someone else would die because of some sort of linked to steroid abuse when they were in their pro careers. But if you put in a random WWF pay-per-view from the 1980s in, chances are that 35% of the performers on that show are no longer alive, which is crazy. But yeah. So, I mean, these baseball players are putting some sort of drugs into their body. I mean, I would Mike Shope. I heard talking about that. Like, what do do we know what these do to people like long-term? I mean, is this going to be like the NFL and, uh, what is it, CTE, like with the concussions? I mean, there's going to be a lot. Of, I mean, this is a tragic story now for the sport, but what is it going to mean 10, 20 years down the road when these players are dying? If I mean, I don't, I don't know what the side effects of these drugs are. Is Alex Rodriguez's most recent contract the worst in the history of professional sports? Two hundred seventy-five thousand or million for how many years? I want to say ten, right? So twenty-seven and a half million a year. Yeah, I mean he's been a goat too. I mean he's never been great in the playoffs. And one year he had the one, one good, good year, right? year. Yeah, which resulted in a series for the Yanks. But I think that was on the last contract, his initial one with the Yankees. So 
Yeah, I mean, that's the worst. It's got to be. Unless you want to count someone like in hockey, like Alexi Yashin or somebody, or uh, Rick DiPietro's, which the dollars are nowhere near the same, but DiPietro barely even played on that contract. So I guess that's, but at least his were injuries. It wasn't just a matter of underperforming and now two steroid accusations. Are you sick of the steroid baseball theme? You know, like, is this? Yes, absolutely. I, I think it really hurts baseball now. There's going to be, I mean, people want an asterisk next to Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, all that type of, I mean, you're going to have to put an asterisk over an entire era. You know, I mean, compare. it's impossible to compare these era to era because, I mean, you. I think the assumption is out there that majority of the players are doing it, not the other way around, and that's that's not good for a sport. Yeah, it's it's a brutal, it's something that, I would much rather on this show focus on things that we've been focused on, on with our baseball interviews, things like the young stars in baseball, the right. Bryce Harpers, the Suspedises, the really Strasburg. I mean, whoever you want to name, Trout, obviously. Right. And that's what we've been focused on when we get the baseball guys on the phone and we start talking to them. It's the exciting stuff that's going around in the league. And this to me is this the, is uh, boring. To is me. the equivalent of recruiting scandals in the NCAA. I think we've had this discussion before, and you said it wouldn't shock you if your team came out no. and said they had or came out that they had recruiting scandals, and that's too bad too. You know what I mean? Like all this, why are they turning a blind eye to to all these issues? All right, my last thing today: uh, the Buffalo Bills and Jim Kelly announced a couple days ago a sad story that. Bills Hall of Fame quarterback Jim Kelly has jaw cancer. Yeah, it has so, a very uh, hard-to-pronounce name. Yeah, he's going to be under the knife at ECMC in Buffalo on Friday. We're recording this on Wednesday, so Friday, I believe it's the date's the 7th. He's going to be going under and getting the bad stuff taken out. There's no news on whether or not he's going to need radiation or chemotherapy after the surgery. This is one of those that they kind of treat initially with surgery and then right. kind of go from there. Uh, Jim has said that this is, uh, they caught it at a good time. Right. Uh, the, the, the long-term outlook is good. Uh, but you know, anytime the word cancer is brought up, it's a scary thing. Uh, the bill said in a statement that Jim Kelly's announcement that he is battling cancer in his upper jaw was gut-wrenching for all of us in the bill's organization. It's been a rock of stability for so many years, whether it's his presence on the field or a way in which he and his family has preserved through life's challenges. Uh, his toughness, character, faith, family, and friends will be amongst his greatest allies. So definitely, I have nothing but great memories of Jim Kelly growing right. up in Buffalo while he was playing his Hall of Fame career. He was always a really, really tough, tough guy on the field, really easy to like and root for, uh, who unfortunately never got to have his best day on the big stage in one right. of those Super Bowls. But and definitely he, a guy that I'm rooting for. He kept himself ingrained in the community afterward too uh, i don't know how many people know this outside of buffalo but he does a lot of tons of charity work like you can't yeah kind of st- started with the birth of his son who was born with a terrible illness and right. the things that he's he has done him and his family have done and his foundation the hunters hope foundation have done for kids that were born after his son are almost unmeasurable right and that's really nationwide too they're trying to get this the screening the, the new yeah broad spectrum screening for your kids uh yeah, so best of luck to Jim Kelly, and uh, like I said, the prognosis was mostly positive. It's, so we're rooting for him. Yep. I have one more thing here this week, not as important as uh, Jim Kelly there, number 12, but 
Notre Dame, again, is in the news for something not overly positive. Uh, they have a signee, Eddie Vanderdoes. I'm probably saying that wrong. Vander Vanderdoes. He switched. He's going to uh, go to UCLA. He made a – I don't know exactly how it works in college. You make a verbal commitment with someone, and I don't think that holds any water. That's just kind of a, hey, I'll see you, and then I'll sign something. Right. I think he had a written commitment to Notre Dame. And now he decided to go to UCLA, and he said it's for very personal reasons. And yeah, he, he says that. close to his family. Family reasons. Right. Yep. Um, Notre Dame, uh, Coach Kelly has said that we respect his decision to move and that they helped him academically, it sounds like, but they're not going to release his written commitment, which I guess in the long run means that this kid can't play this year and – will lose this year of eligibility. Yep, he can take a scholarship and practice, but he must redshirt and will be eligible to play only three years of college football in a four-year period. Okay, so at least he can practice. And he wasn't expected to play much at Notre Dame. I don't know about it at UCLA, but, I mean, it's kind of a bummer. I, I don't want to beat up Notre Dame too much for this because I don't, I don't know. The story, per the, se? Right, I don't know what goes into it. I don't know. But, I mean, if they're just holding this kid out of spite – that kind of sucks because in the one article I read, it did say that they're not even going to play UCLA for four years, so it's not like this kid's going to bite them unless they meet in a bowl game or something. But, uh, yeah, they lost another player, this on the heels of losing Golston to academic reasons and uh, Gunnar Keel. So tough, tough They're losses. saying that they're, it's a precedent, that they don't want to set a precedent. They don't want coaches to con- continue recruiting players after they've signed a letter of intent. Okay, I can respect that. I mean – so that's what they're citing. We don't know the story, but we would hope that if a kid presented a really legitimate personal reason, family reason right. that Notre Dame would be willing to take each case as a case-by-case basis, not to just throw a blanket over right. every player that's ever going to come Boy, through that's, there. Boy, that's tough, though. We just I just mentioned that, not even thinking about that, and the Major League Baseball story about recruiting violations and I would not put that past coaches to recruit a kid that has signed a letter of intent. But This is a big player, too. He was the top-ranked defensive lineman in the ESPN 150 for the class yeah. of 2013 and the number 10-ranked recruit overall. So this was so an overall, very easily the best player in their class. Yeah, Notre, I mean, Notre Dame will be interesting next year. I mean, they're always interesting because of just – popularity surrounding them but they this, need anything good to happen at this point right because yeah, pretty unraveling. much since they started their bowl game right nothing good has happened yeah. for them. so they need anything good to happen at this point yeah absolutely all right we're gonna take a break and come back with jeff passan Our first guest is from Cleveland, Ohio, and is a graduate of Syracuse University. At Syracuse, he wrote for the school's paper, The Daily Orange. After graduation, he went west to cover the Fresno State basketball team for the Fresno Bee. In 2004, he began covering baseball for the Kansas City Star before moving to Yahoo in 2006. His work has been honored with multiple Associated Press Sports Editor Awards and has been recognized by the Best American Sports Writing Anthology. Today, he is the lead baseball columnist for Yahoo Sports and the co-author of the critically acclaimed book, Death to the BCS. He was the first guest to ever appear on the sportscast and is making his fourth appearance today. A warm welcome to Jeff Passan. What's up, Jeff? How's it going? Good, good. 
I, I'll never get tired of hearing he was the first person to come on. That yes. makes me feel good. That, how many years later is this? Like this three, is the, four the years? the third year. Yeah, it's the third year of it. So. Yeah, I mean, you guys uh, you done a pretty damn good job keeping it going. So congratulations to you. Thank you. Hey, did you uh, go to the Final Four this year? You know, it's funny. I've never been to the Final Four before. Hmm. I want to go to a Final Four, but... Bad timing so with baseball like getting ready? Yeah, really, yeah. really bad timing. Right. Yeah. I think as long as I'm covering baseball, I'm probably never going to go to a Final Four. I don't see myself writing about anything else anytime soon. So, unfortunately, that's one of those uh, retirement trips. Yeah, so did you... Uh, what? You know, it's interesting because my brother won... The, I don't know if you know this. I, we, we have to mention it once a week on the show, but my brother won the national championship in hockey this year with Yale. And uh, we went to the Frozen Four. And... Um, it's the week after the final four. So, okay. you know, and it's, it's a really interesting kind of a trip because really your whole trip is based on whether or not they're going to win that first game. Because right, if exactly. they win the first game, you're there for a while. If they don't, you're pretty much there for three hours and then you're out. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and, it, you know, I went to Syracuse and then I finished at Fredonia, but I went to Syracuse and I, so I have a lot of friends and, and I was talking to them and they went through that the week before. They're like, yeah, we went all the way down to Atlanta and, you know, we're there and then we're trying to figure out what to do and most of them left. But, um, yeah, it's a weird yeah, kind of that, that, that's, that's, that's the type of thing where if your team makes it, you hope it's in New Orleans. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, an extra couple days in Atlanta. Eh, yeah. An extra couple days in Orleans. Sounds like a plan. I think all these big events are the best in New Orleans. So, I mean, the Super Bowl, everyone raves about it whenever the Super Bowl is there. Uh, it's, a, it's, a great, it, it, it's a great place to be it, for like three it, or four it, days. It, well, college sports is so much different, I think, than everything else, too. Just the, the fandom with college sports, I think, football particularly, basketball, too, though, is just so crazy. You, you, know, you know, with the Super Bowl, it's, what, 80% corporate people and – you know, rich folks who can afford the tickets. They're not a, a, it's a disproportionate uh, amount of just regular people to fans. But when you're talking about college football bowl games and when you're talking about college basketball, there are a lot of fans there, and they will travel for that because, I mean, it's the best. Yeah. Did you, are you a Marone guy? Did you like Marone? I love Rome. Do you, yeah. Yeah. You were, you were on his show last week. What's that? I was. He's just—he's he, such a great guy. He really is. Yeah. I mean, you know, people see like a really blustery personality, but he's just the best guy in the world. Just a really nice guy. I brought my five-year-old along, and you know, they let him on the set, and they brought him back in the, and they're really nice to him. And Jim's a great guy. The whole staff there. I love doing that. I wish I could go out to California more, frankly, but uh, duty calls, I suppose. Is it easy for you to make the transition to a guy who focuses so much on baseball and then jumping into that show where you're covering all the sports and you find yourself talking about the NBA and things like that? <laughs> no, it's not easy at all. No, yeah. You have, to, you, have to, you have to really study up and understand what's going on and watch games that I might not, uh, under other circumstances, watch. And it's, it's a challenge, but it's a fun one because, uh, you know, the last thing you want is to, to look stupid in front of... Uh, one person, let alone a uh, million, two are watching. Right. You know, it's in- we had a similar conversation with Jeff Passan about this because he was on the show right before we had talked to him once, and he was right in the middle of writing his next book, which is a basketball book. And he was like, "I was so engulfed in that. I didn't. It wasn't until I got there that I realized how much I wasn't paying attention to." 
You know, so wait, now who who was that you were talking with? Oh wait, I said you, right? I did. Jeff Perlman. You did. I yeah. Him when I wrote a basketball well, book. it's so similar. I meant to say Jeff Perlman. I said Jeff Passan. You guys almost yeah. have identical names. <laughs> almost. Close almost. Enough. Yeah. So it's an easy, yeah, but no, it's Jeff Perlman who who had said that to me. So, but it seems like everyone has a great great experience going on that show. And I've yeah, yeah, I've never it, heard anything. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. I, I'm just glad that I got you know. My kid's going to be in kindergarten next year, so I'm not going to get to take those types of trips with him anymore and uh, get bring him out to California. We got to go to Legoland for a couple of days. I mean, that was, uh, that That's was fun. Sweet. Yeah, was he pumped to see Dad on TV and stuff? Is, is that like, super cool for him? No, not really. Not really? <laughs> no, not really. Just... I, I think that uh, my wife doesn't watch it. He's, he's like, yeah, Dad's just doing work. Uh, <laughs> I still think it's cool, but... Yeah, not so much from him. So, all right, bunch of baseball stuff I want to ask you. I wanted to ask you that. Oh, wait, one more thing before we get into baseball. I asked you about Rome. What about Doug Marone? You're a Syracuse guy, and he's going to be the coach of the Bills now. You, you, you a Marone guy, Doug Marone guy at all? Yeah, I mean, I guess Syracuse was all right when he was there. It's not like they were out, you know, competing for national championships. But he, look, he's got pedigree in the NFL. Uh, people seem to like him a lot, and. Uh, and the Bills have a, a halfway decent foundation, you would think. What Spiller did last year and having Williams there, hopefully his head is on straight. I mean, they've got some players. They're a tough division, though. And yeah, and the key for uh, the staff is whether or not they're going to be able to develop Manuel. You know what I mean? It's, I, yeah. I, I like, honestly, I do like Manuel. I, I know everyone thought that was a reach, but of all the quarterbacks in the draft, honestly, I think I like him the best. Right. Cool. All right, let's talk a little baseball. You know, I'm always, I've always said I'm more of a fan of baseball than any team. But growing up where I did, it was pretty much follow the Braves or follow nobody because it was pre-yes, pre-SNY. And it was a good time to follow. And they're the only team that was, you could watch every day with TBS and everything. So I've always kind of been sort of a Braves fan. I come in and out. I was a big Maddox guy. Since he left, I haven't been that into it. But I'm into the team this year for whatever reason. And part of it's because I've always loved pitching, and they have such exciting young pitching. And we've been talking a little bit through email and a little bit before we started about Brandon Beachy. And it seems like you think, from what I read from what you wrote last week, that they're not going to baby him at all. That when he's ready and when they bring him back, he's going to have one of the five starts in the rotation. It seems like that's what you think at this point, huh? He is. And you know what? He's, he's throwing harder now than he did before his uh, Sonic John surgery. Look, I think we forget Brandon Beachy was leading the National League in ERA last year uh, when he got hurt. And so uh, we're talking about a guy who's a potential front-line starter. And uh, to throw him back into a, a rotation that already has five pretty good guys, uh, it just goes to show what the Braves have been able to do and how they've developed guys like Chris Medlin and Julio Tehran and Mike Miner. And, Miner, yeah. Uh, you know, Hudson's in there as well, and of course you got uh, uh, Paul Mahalem, uh, which was a, a great trade by them last year. Uh, I, I think the, the Braves, I'm not going to call them the team to beat necessarily, because I don't know that there is one of those right now, but they're certainly in the discussion when you're talking about World Series contenders, and Beachy's only going to help that. Yeah, and like you mentioned, Miner, he's ninth in the ERA in the, in the uh, NL, and he's been great over the last calendar year, if you look at it that way. He's really emerged, so I mean, they could have a really nice one-two punch there with young, really talented pitchers, especially if Beachy comes back full bore. Yeah, and I think the question at this point is, how's the bullpen going to hold up? 
Avalon and Alex Wood be the, the guys out of the uh, bullpen, the left-handers, to replace Ventures and O'Flaherty, right. who went down within the same week with Tommy John. And, look, I, I don't know that we knew that was coming necessarily, but those guys got worked and worked and worked by Freddie Gonzalez a couple of years back. And uh, arms can hold up for only so long before they give in, and those two gave in. And so if they can get Wood and Avalon to be those two options in the seventh and eighth innings, then... Uh, they're in a lot better shape than I think people are giving them credit for. And it's, it's a testament to the Braves being able to draft well and develop well and get guys up who are immediate major league contributors. Not a lot of teams uh, have the ability in the development system to do that, but the Braves consistently over the last three years have infused their roster, almost half their roster, I think, has come in the last couple of years and are homegrown guys. Now, you've been following Tommy John surgery kind of, closely this last couple of weeks. I know you're headed out to see, who did you say you were, you were going to watch a rehab start from someone for, who's coming back from Tommy John, right? Daniel Hudson. Daniel Hudson, from, that's uh, right. The, yeah. yeah, Hudson from the Diamondbacks uh, is going down to double uh, A. To, uh, I think he's probably going to have three or four starts down there. And, and you know, the Diamondbacks have a, a sort of a similar, uh, you can call it a problem. It's not really a problem. It's a, a plethora of starting pitching. And, uh, Wade Miley has not been pitching well lately. Brandon McCarthy's hurt right now. But the plan is for the Diamondbacks to bring Daniel Hudson back and pop him right back in the rotation. And, and look, it's a lot to ask for a guy coming off of uh, a full year off to go back and pitch at the major league level. But uh, I've been following Hudson for the last year for a book I'm working on, and uh, he thinks he's ready, and he thinks the stuff is good, and he's excited, and I guess we're going to get to see tomorrow. I'm going to be sitting right behind the plate with scouts uh and i'll let them uh tell me what they're seeing and listen to them because they know a whole lot more than i do you mentioned the young pitchers in in arizona and definitely patrick corbin is in that discussion i mean he's nine and oh at 2.06 era he's 23 years old i mean is this the kind of guy that we expected to be this high end of a major league pitcher or is this a bit of a surprise it is a surprise because when the dan Heron trade went down a few years ago Corbin wasn't a throw-in by any means, but he certainly wasn't the top guy in that trade. That was Tyler Skaggs. And uh, Skaggs, uh, I think he threw six shutout innings last week at a spot start. He's going to be someone who's in their rotation long-term. They've also got Randall Delgado. But Corbin's somebody who's really developed. His sinker's gained a couple miles per hour since he's come into the organization. He's developed a wipeout slider and when we're talking about a guy who can command the ball as well as he can and has the stuff he does, uh, that's a, a guy who's 9-0 and with a 2.06 ERA. Uh, there's reason behind that, and I think he's been a very pleasant surprise for a Diamondback team that, uh, did, that went into the spring not knowing whether he or Delgado was going to win that fifth spot. You know, we've been talking a lot on the show about how um – what a great time it is for baseball in terms of young players and how many great young players there are spread out over the league. And a couple of weeks ago, we went in Buffalo. We had a AAA, the Bisons here, you know, the Blue Jays organization. And uh, there, there was, uh, they were playing the Pirates organization. And we got a chance, I got a chance to watch um, the first pick from the 2011 draft, Garrett Cole pitch. Yeah. And he's just such a big dude. And I mean, he was once he settled in after the first inning, he just looked too good for AAA to me. But, I mean, that's just another example of maybe another guy who's coming into this league. And I saw that there's 
what, two pitchers and a third baseman are kind of like the talk of who might be the first pick in the ba- the Major League Baseball draft this next week? Do you yeah, find the, you know, the, there are four guys, four college players who, who could go number one overall to Houston. And it, it's an interesting debate. Uh, do you take and Mark Appel, a guy who's uh, pitched for four years at Stanford, pitched four really good years, but has Scott Boris as his advisor? Do you go with Jonathan Gray, a guy who came into the year, he wasn't an unknown, but he wasn't throwing 100 miles per hour before, and in a couple of starts, he was sitting, you know, 97 to 100, or you go with Chris Bryant, somebody who has massive right-handed power with these bats that have uh, just been stunted at the college level, or is it Colin Moran, uh, third baseman from uh, University of North Carolina, who had a 57 to 21 walk strikeout ratio this year? Uh, a lot of people think he's going to be a 300 hitter in the big leagues, but there's questions whether he can stay at third base or ends up at first base. And I think the big question with him too is: do the, uh, the Astros go with him and sign him for a little less than the other guys we cost, and uh, thus they can spread out their draft pool money later in the draft with guys who may have fallen because of signability questions? And so, uh, the, you know, the Astros. Uh, they're, they're in a very interesting position. Last year they went with Carlos Correa, a shortstop out of Puerto Rico, who has been very good as an 18-year-old at uh, low A, but they chose him over Byron Buxton, who uh, arguably is the best player in the minor leagues right now and ended up going number two to Minnesota. It, hmm. it, 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 you know, the new draft rules have, uh, have shaken up the game a little bit. The idea from Major League Baseball was that this was going to be something that ended up pushing the best talent toward the top of the draft. But instead, I think it's given flexibility to those top teams to either uh, spend on that guy with 1-1 one, one, uh, talent. Uh, you know, 1-1 one, one is what they call the number one overall pick in baseball. Uh, they, you know, if there's a definitive 1-1, one, one, whether it's uh, Bryce Harper or Steven Strasburg, someone of that ilk, then, of course, you're going to go for him. But... If not, you save some of that money and try and get some more talented kids uh, in the sandwich round of the first round and uh, with some compensation picks and uh, with uh, second and third and even fifth or eighth or ninth or tenth round picks. Yeah, it's signability is is such a big factor in this draft, right? Oh, it's huge. And what's interesting with baseball is, you know, for these kids who are coming out, if you're a bat, go to college. I mean, I think that just makes the most sense. But if you're an arm, I'm not sure why you'd want to go pitch in college. Uh, the, the number of coaches out there who uh, either because they're trying to win, save their jobs, whatever it may be, uh, have no compunction about uh, throwing a guy out there for 125, 130 pitches when even though they're pitching once a week, uh, the arm just may not be ready to take that, and there may be some long-term implications. Uh, I, I have no illusions that either of my sons is going to uh, pitch in college, but if one happens to uh, have been struck by lightning with that golden arm and has the chance, uh, if he gets drafted out of high school, he's going to sign. Simple as that. Hmm. Now, I mentioned Garrett Cole, who was a 1-1, as you put it, a few years ago, and I ask you this question every year because I want your answer to change. And it's about the Pirates and how much I love PNC Park and how I have a dream to somebody watch that team play a playoff game there. And every year around this time, for the last, well, for the last two years now, this being the third, yep. they're teasing us. 
the last two yeah. years have proved to be a tease. What do you think about this year? Is this a team that can maintain this level of play throughout the year this year, or are they going to fall off in August or July again? I think they're going to fall off. I think they're a better team, certainly, than they've had the last two years. But uh, it's very similar to last year where they were pitching over their peripherals. And what I mean by that is uh, your strikeout-to-walk ratio, the number of home runs you allow, usually are a pretty good indicator, not of past performance, but of future performance. And uh, the, the ERA for the Pirates last year was way better than what it should have been at this point in I don't know. I, I haven't looked back and listened to the uh, to the tape from last year, but I don't think I was terribly bullish on the Pirates when they were going on that great run, and no. I'm not terribly bullish uh, on this team either. But the difference is they've got Cole waiting in AAA uh, with 100 miles per hour and a 90 mile per hour slider, and they've got Jameson Tyon at AA, a kid who's finally uh, shown some dominance this year after not coasting along his first couple years in organized ball, but uh, not being the, the type of guy you would expect from somebody who, A, has the stuff he does, and B, was the number two overall pick in the draft. But with those two and with Gregory Polanco, uh, future center fielder or corner outfielder, uh, hitting really well at A-ball, with Josh Bell, uh, a guy who they signed for $5 million a couple of years ago, uh, coming back from an injury and playing well, Alan Hansen, a shortstop, uh, turning around after a bad start, there's a lot of talent in the Pirates organization, and they've also got a kid, Tyler Glasnow, who's a six-foot-seven right-hander and really, really popping up this year. In fact, uh, when I get to the airport here, I'm going to be uh, writing my uh, prospect heat check and uh, going to be writing about the Pirates and how they may well have the best farm system in baseball right now. Wow. Yeah, I grew up with uh, their Triple A team being right in my hometown, and I think about that and think, well, it must not have been that great of an organization back then because I didn't get to see that many great players come through here. But well, there's a, a reason long that time the Pirates have sucked, they, they right. have sucked for as long as they have because of that. Right. Because they simply didn't develop guys well enough. But now that they're uh, now that they've got some talent at the major league level as well as uh, a pretty loaded minor league system, if this year isn't the Pirates' year, then it's going to be coming up soon. What about the Indians? Kind of the same question. Are they a team that can post some playoff games maybe in the in the fall? So another city I can drive to to see a playoff game? They could, but I still don't think that there's enough starting pitching. And I get it. Over the last 40 games or so, their starting pitching actually been pretty decent. But uh, I, I think over the long haul, uh, you know, Justin Masterson is a solid, for me, number three starter. Uh, I don't think he's the one or two guy that uh, he's been pitching at over the first two months of the season. And Zach McAllister's perfectly fine, but, uh, you know, he's more of a four or five guy. And beyond that, you know, can the smoke and mirrors from Scott Casimir uh, keep up? And uh, can they get decent performances? Do they bring Carlos Carrasco up toward the all-star break and get something out of him? Ultimately, it's going to come down to the pitching with them. They've got a really good manager in Terry Francona. They've got a strong offense with Carlos Santana, Michael Bourne, Nick Swisher, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I still don't know that I'm buying the pitching, uh, starting pitching particularly, enough that the Indians are going to be contending by the end of the year. I still think Detroit's the creme de la creme in that division. Sportscasters finishing up with our OG Jeff Passan. Uh, OG, that might be the first time I've ever been called an OG. Yeah, original guest, that stands for. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, it's probably more accurate than original gangster. I'll right. take it. Uh, at Jeff Passon on Twitter, uh, Yahoo Sports. Uh, you mentioned so you got a book too. Pretty much all of our like our favorite guests, it seems like, have books coming out. Jonah Carey, you Perlman, uh, SL Price. Like we're gonna. Get- what, what is what is Perlman's on? Uh, his is on the Lakers, the Showtime Lakers. Oh, wow. That's a good book. And I know Jonah's writing about the Expos. Yeah, S.L. Price is writing about football and El Equipa PA. Yeah, uh, whatever, he, whatever he writes is going to be brilliant. So yeah, he's, I, I, I only hope that line can be uh, as good and interesting as theirs. Is it on the uh, record what yours is about, or are you still keeping that close? Because I know you guys like to keep it close. No, it's uh, mine is about the pitching arm. Okay. And my, uh, my youngest son, who's uh, turned one in April was I think it was May of last year, and he's up in the middle of the night. It's like 3 o'clock in the morning. And you know when you get woken up from sleep, you have one of two ways to go. Your mind can either work in wonderful overdrive, or you can just think and make absolutely no sense. Zombie. And so I'm sitting there half awake, feeding this kid the bottle, and right around that point, Dylan Bundy from the Orioles was pitching only two or three innings per start. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, this is a kid who one time threw 190, I think, pitches in a high school game, somebody who has a very mature arm. What the hell are they doing giving him only two or three innings at a time? And that got me to thinking about how uh, pitching usage has changed over the years and how... There are more injuries today than there ever have been to pitchers' arms in Major League Baseball. And uh, why, after 150 years of playing this game, when we know so much, do we still not know how to keep arms healthy? And so, for the last two, or for the last year, I've been following two guys around who had arm surgery and uh, are coming back. You know, Daniel Hudson was a younger guy, just on the cusp of really breaking out. Todd Coffey's a veteran who's bounced around to four different teams, and, you know, this may be his last shot. Uh, those two really are the, the heart of the book, but it takes a look at uh, the, the history of the arm, uh, the, the usage of it over times, uh, what they're trying to do now to keep it healthy, and what they want to do in the future, and what technology is going to allow them to do. And so uh, what, what I'm envisioning is a book that, Every Little League dad can buy and understand how his son's arm works and that every Major League pitching coach can buy and uh, try and figure out how to best apply what's happening now and in the future to uh, the arms that he's in charge of. 2015 sometime for that? I <laughs> uh, hope in 2014. That's 2014. the idea. Okay, cool. We'll, we'll, we'll see how my job gets in the way. <laughs> Last thing. Right, writing a book and writing a book and having a job is not easy. I've learned. Yeah, no, it doesn't seem like it. La- uh, one thing I'm curious about because I look at this all the time, but I never really looked at it till yesterday. Why did a front row WWE fan have a Jeff Passan isn't here sign? Where were you? <laughs> Why weren't you there? Uh, uh, this was my senior year in high school, and a friend of mine named Matt Keller had uh, gotten uh, tickets from... Uh, there had been some sort of mishap at, uh, uh, at his uh, last event, and he complained to the WWF, I think, at the time, and uh, they gave him front row seats right in the corner. And uh, 
Uh, he had two tickets, and it was going to be him uh, and either myself or my friend Chaz. And Matt ended up taking Chaz along, and I was all sad. You know, this was back when the WWF was awesome, and right. Stone Cold Steve Austin era, and The Rock was just starting up, and it was a good time to be a wrestling fan. And so instead of bringing me along uh, in person, he brought me along in name. And uh, that is how that sign was there. And the funny thing is, I totally missed it. Like, when it was on, I did not see it. But the next day, you know, I, I think a friend of mine was picking me up to go to school. And he's like, did you see it, man? Did you see it? I'm like, did I see what? Like, you were on TV last night. And uh, this was pre-BVR, of course. But I think somebody might have recorded it on VHS. Nice. Uh, and, and I think Matt was the one who took the snapshot and... Uh, I somehow got a copy of it, and lo and behold, uh, for uh, history and posterity's sake, there I am. All right, so I have a real quick wrestling live event story for you. So 1987 was WrestleMania three, so I was like seven going on eight, and WrestleMania three was like the height of my childhood. Like I remember we ordered it on pay-per-view, and like friends came over, and I was a big Ricky Steamboat fan, and he had that crazy awesome match against randy savage and won the belt so it was a great oh yeah, it's like, yeah. The, that's like the greatest north american wrestling match of all time yeah exactly Steve versus savage at wrestlemania 3 so then june of that year so it's a few that was in march or april late march of april so in june of that year there is a tv taping in buffalo at the odd and me and my dad get tickets and go and steamboat has a title defense and i'm so pumped you know, I'm all excited for it. Well, he loses the belt that night to the honky-tonk man right in front of me. And I bawled my eyes Wait, was out. This, was, this, was, this was the Intercontinental, yep, right? Because yep. I, don't, I don't think... You know honky-tonk man's a huge baseball fan. Wayne, what's his name? Wayne Harris or something? Or I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what his name is. All I know is he's a big Brewers fan. Yeah, well, he's a big jerk in my life because he ruined, he ruined that day. <laughs> my dad had to kind of like tell me that Steamboat was going to be okay because it, was, it wasn't like, you know, really real. And then the funny thing is I found out all these years later that he was supposed to lose the belt that night to Butch Reed. But Butch Reed no-showed. Butch really? Yeah, but he no-showed, so they put it on... Put it on uh, wow. Man, but. See, I did not know that. My, my greatest wrestling moment, uh, I was a freshman. Was I a freshman? Yeah, I think I might have been, no, I might have been a soft, freshman or sophomore in college at Syracuse. And uh, that day, uh, that year, uh, the WWF wanted to hold a pay-per-view at uh, Carrier Dome. But Syracuse, the university, thought that uh, the WWF at the time was too raunchy, too body, whatever uh, you may have it. And... Uh, they just did not want to hold the show there. And I thought that this was ridiculous. And so they were at the On Center in downtown Syracuse doing a house show. And I went and talked to The Rock because he had played at the Carrier Dome as a right. football player. For Miami? And it, Yeah, for Miami. And at the end of the interview, this is the only time I've done this before, but at the end of the interview, I said to him, listen, man, uh, I've never done this before, but... I, I I really was hoping to ask you a favor, and he's like, "What's that?" I'm like, "My my roommates and I have just a terrible answering machine message. Is there any way that you could uh, record an outgoing message for us?" He's like, "Okay, give me a second. And he walks away, and he comes back. He's like, "What are your roommates' names?" And I was like, "I'm Jeff," and there was Jake and Danny. And he picks up my tape recorder, and he goes, This is The Rock, the people's champion from the WWF. You've reached Jeff, Jake, and Danny, so leave your name. 
Then he pauses and he goes, it doesn't matter what your name is. <laughs> so leave a message at the beep if you smell what The Rock is cooking. And for the next three years, that was our outgoing message wow, like on our day. answering machine. And uh, it was such an amazing message that every time Danny would go out and try and pick up a girl, uh, he would tell her to call our apartment so they could listen to the message. <laughs> and nobody thought it was real, but it was very, very real and very, very cool. That's awesome. Have a nice trip to Jayville. Thanks for doing this. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks very much, Steve. Thank you, John. See you. All right. I want to thank Jeff Passan for joining us on the show. It's always great to have that connection with the guy that was on the first show, and we always have fun talking to Jeff. All right. Moving on. Finders Keepers is a documentary that we have been plugging their Kickstarter this month as a kind of a different direction for the book club. As we know, people don't do quite as much reading in the beautiful hot sun of the summer, so we thought we'd do something a little bit different and pick the book club back up after the Finders Keepers period on Kickstarter is over. And where they're at now is 54538 of the 80000 they're trying to earn with 12 days to go. Uh, you can find this on Kickstarter.com by searching for Finders Keepers. And you can also follow them on Twitter, at Grill, <laughs> Or you can find them on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash Finders Keepers Documentary. And uh, I will say that they've been doing a good job on social media, making people aware of different things that there are available, including uh, running their own contest on Twitter, which they did right away when they started. They had a, a contest that first day giving away. I don't remember exactly what they gave away. Um, oh, one of their followers, and it was a King of Kong theatrical poster signed by Steve Weeb. Weeby? I think it's Weeby. Weeby, right. Uh, so definitely a cool project, and we kind of talked a bit about it the last couple weeks, about the whole Kickstarter angle. And I know that Zach Braff, who kind of has brought a lot of attention to Kickstarter, Kickstarter was on the cover of Variety Magazine kind of talking about the site and we've heard the criticisms about, you know, why do regular people have to give their money to millionaires? Uh, but this isn't the right, case right. in the particular project we're backing. I don't think anyone's necessarily a millionaire, uh, maybe making a good li- living in the business, but I, they're not super rich dudes, I don't think. Uh, Brian Carberry and Ed Cunningham are the executive producers of the project and uh, we think it's a great project. I am going to back it here in the next couple of days. I'm just kind of deciding how far. I think I'm probably going to go the $30 range. They got an awesome Twitter name. Legging Grill is pretty sweet. At Legging Grill is a sweet Twitter <laughs> name. And uh, I think I'm going to go 30 bucks, and that's going to get me a download of the Fidener's Keepers, which I can watch whenever. And also will get me the two things above, which are access to the online broadcast with a question and answer, uh, recognition on the website, and also access to Shannon's 911 call after finding the leg. Uh, so for 30 bucks, I'm happy. Get to help people who have helped us. And um, also get to see a, a new documentary from two guys who have produced two of my favorite documentaries, which we just stumbled into by coincidence. Right. You know what I mean? We didn't have any. I didn't have any idea when I watched initially King of Kong and Undefeated that somehow the producer of this was a former football player who would someday be on our podcast who's good friends with one of our good friends <laughs> right. in the business, 
uh, Blue Horseshoe, Zach Rosenfield. So definitely check it out. Again, you go to kickstart.com and search Finders Keepers, or you can go to at Leg and Grill on Twitter or facebook.com slash Finders Keepers documentary. We're going to take a break and come back with Malcolm Kelly. Our next guest is from Longview, Texas, and played college football at Oklahoma. He was the 2005 Big 12 Rookie of the Year. He was a freshman All-American, a two-time All-Big 12, and was the 75th pick in the 2008 NFL Draft. 51st pick, I'm sorry, in the 2008 NFL Draft, uh, where he played for the Washington Redskins. He is currently in Longview, Texas, and nice enough to join us today. He is Malcolm Kelly. What's up, Malcolm? Uh, not much, man. Not much. Hanging out. How about you? Oh, not much. Pumped to have you on the show. I mean, I'll be honest about this. So, kind of a weird, random thing. Grew up in Buffalo. Kid down the street. A little bit older than me. Probably seven or eight years older than me. Super athlete. Full ride to Penn State, Syracuse. Anywhere really in the Northeast he wanted to go, but he just loved Oklahoma. Went down to Oklahoma, yeah. was a walk on there. Backed up Jason Belzer for a couple years down there. Yeah. And um, just been a huge Oklahoma fan always because of that. And I remember when you came in in 2005, you came in the same year as Rhett Beaumont, right? You guys were in the same class? Is that right? Uh, no. Um, or was he Red and AD were a year, Red and AD were a year before me. A year before you, okay. Yeah, and I remember yeah. that because I was never a big recruiting guy. But I remember with Peterson being such a huge profile recruit, kind of like got me into paying attention to it a little bit more. And then that's right. I remember he was a one year, and then the next year everyone's saying, "Now the big guy we're trying to get from Texas this year is Malcolm Kelly." Was there a big reason? Was was Oklahoma always kind of your number one, or did it come down to Texas and Oklahoma like it does so many times for you guys out there in Texas? Uh, yeah, well, you know, my my older brother played at Texas, so I, I knew a lot of the coaching staff and things like that, Coach Brown and. That's really where I wanted to go my entire high school career, pretty much. And it got to, like, my junior season, and Texas could never really beat Oklahoma. You know, it was already one game that kept them out of the national championship game. It was Oklahoma. And, uh, you know, when AD went down there, and he had that crazy year, his first year. You yeah. know, I was like, well, God, you know, they, we are, we should be singled up on the outside every play, pretty much. You know what I mean? I knew we had Red coming in, you know, and uh, Red Beaumont at that time, he was the number two overall player in the country right behind AD. But, you know what I mean? We, I knew we had a good little nucleus of guys right there, you know, so that was pretty much what put me over the top. Now, you had a different quarterback every single year at Oklahoma, right? You had Bullmire yeah, your first year, year, Thompson your second year, and Bradford your third year. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Was that difficult? You know what, man? Uh, I never really thought about it, you know, until I left the school. It wasn't until I left Oklahoma and looked back and I was like, God, you know what? You know what I mean? Like, I never had a chance to really be with a guy more than one season or be with a guy that didn't go into an off season with a guy. You know what I mean? So, I never really thought about it. You know, I just kind of tried to act as well as I could, and, you know, I just tried to go from there. You know, I, I guess I really didn't have time to sit back and think about it back then. You know, the funny thing about that is when I say those names, I would think that the year that would have been the most difficult was actually what turned out to probably be your best year, your second year with Paul Thompson, who would probably be the least acclaimed of those guys. 
Yeah, yeah. That was crazy, too. Uh, you know, a lot of that, too, I think, had to do with, you know, at the beginning of the season. With, at the beginning of the season, I started coming on pretty strong, and we had everybody. You know, it was me. Uh, Adrian was playing real strong. Uh, you know, so we had a lot of guys playing strong, man. And then when AD went out, then, you know, we kind of, even if we didn't want to, we kind of started having to, you know, throw the ball a little bit more than we might have wanted. But, you know, I guess I kind of benefited from that in the end, I guess. Now, I know at, towards the end, you kind of, what, take me through what happened with your workout at Oklahoma. I know there was kind of like, it got cha- the, the location got changed at the last second or something, and you weren't ready to run where you had to run. Well, looking back yeah, on that now, it what was happened? Just, I mean, it was, what it was, I, I went and looked at what all the previous, you know, top receivers, what they had ran. You know, Braylon Edwards, Ladd Fitzgerald. Uh, Mike Williams, Reggie Williams. I looked at every year, you know, what a top receiver, what surface they ran on. And they ran on the Astro turf, you know, so I wanted to run the fastest time as I could. You know, I knew I wasn't a blazer guy, you know what I mean? So I was going to try to get the best time I could, of course. So I went in a week early and just talked to my strength coach and said, hey, well, I want to run it in here on this surface, on the Astro turf surface. You know, because I had my own pro day. I could, my leg was messed up, so I couldn't run on OU's pro day. Right. So, uh, I came in a week early, talked to him, thought we had an understanding. When I got there the morning of the pro day, as soon as I walked through the door, I see we have everything set up on the place that I, you know, made sure I wasn't going to run on. You know, the whole workout was set up right there. So, you know, my mind just went blank, and I just, you know, I probably I, I probably should have, if I look back on it, I probably should have kept it a little bit more in-house, you know what I mean? If I had a lot riding on it, I was mad, you know, and I kind of blew up about it. But, you know, we all kind of put all that stuff behind us now for us. You know, I try not to think about it. You, you're all good with Oklahoma then now? Like, is it you look back with fond memories, or does that kind of sully it for you a little bit? Uh, you know what I mean? I, I, I'll be lying if I say, you know, that I, I never thought about it. You know what I mean? But I can't let one incident. You know what I mean? I had a lot, a lot of great friends, a lot of great teammates, played with a lot of great players. You know what I mean? Like, I had a great time. You know what I'm I don't I hate to let one day, you know what I mean, dictate my entire uh, relationship with the university, you know what I mean? So I've been going back a little bit more here lately, you know what I mean? So I'm going back during the season to a couple of games. So, you know, it is what it is. Like I said, man, that was, I try to let bygones be bygones. Well, if that was your worst day there, let's talk about some of your best days there. And one that comes to mind right away is the Big 12 championship game that you were the MVP of. Tell me yeah. a little bit about that game. What was it? I mean, you just... You're picking on a guy there and beating him consistently. What was it about that night that just everything seemed to go so right in your favor? Uh, well, you know what's crazy, man. Before the game, I could barely even walk before the game. I I messed my toe up real bad, so I really didn't practice during the week. So I really went into the game thinking it was going to be, you know, one of my worst games. You know what I mean? I guess I just got out there and the the way they were playing, if they were stacking the box up, you know, they were pretty much making us throw the ball. So. You know, Coach Wilson at that time just had a real good screen, screen scheme. You know, a lot of our stuff was roll out with Paul that game. You know what I mean? So we just, we really just took what they gave us. You know what I mean? It just turned into a lot of points, a lot of yards. And, you know, they kept feeding me the ball. So, you know, it just kind of kind of went on from there. Another game that sticks out was your, you crushed Miami. I mean, the, it was a great game. It was a 51-13, something like that. Yeah. That was uh, maybe the second game your junior year, I think. You, you had yeah, three touchdowns. Game. Yeah, that was a great day, too. What was it like to, to do that against a Miami? You know what I mean? Like, uh, was that, 
Yeah, it was good. You know, it was a lot of hype leading up to the game. You know what I mean? You know, they played each other, had a lot of good battles back in the day. So it was good to, you know, go up against guys like that. You know, they had athletes. I had some athletes in the second day with Kenny Phillips and Randy Phillips, some of those guys like that. So it was good. You know, like I said, our coaches got us pretty pretty stoked for that game. You know what I mean? So especially coming into Norman, uh, we kind of wanted to prove a point, and, you know, we just went out and had a good game. Those stick out for me. Does one looking back stick out for you? You say, you say which one sticks out for me? Oh, I said for me that Miami and the Nebraska game come to mind right away for me, but what about for you? Would it be one of those games or maybe a different one that sticks out in your mind? Uh, yeah, that's one of them. Uh, when we played in Oregon my sophomore year, I had a pretty good I, one of my One of my best plays got called back because I stepped out of bounds. Uh, yeah, that's, made a, pretty that's good a big look, YouTube. You know what I mean? Right? On the little yep. reach behind catch yep. or whatever, it went out of bounds. Adrian had a real good game that game. Uh, that's the loudest place I've ever played. One of the smallest places, but by far the loudest, period. You ever so, been so a part a of a bigger one. screw job than that game? Oh, man, it was bad, man. That it was, was awful. Bad. I mean, yeah, it was, it was horrible. I mean, we were in the locker room, we were mad about it. We got into it with them, with their players after the game about it. I mean, it was, you know what I mean? It was, it was pretty horrible. Yeah, that was, was robbery. Was pretty and you guys... about that. Yeah, you guys almost overcame it too, but Hartley Hartley had a chance at the end and missed that. And I'm actually a big, yeah. big Saints fan too. And then I remember thinking when Hartley was going to be the kicker, I remember thinking, man, I love this guy at OU, but every big kick I remember him kicking, he missed. And then his, <laughs> his first big kick as a Saint was in the regular season. They had a chance to clinch the first overall seed, and he missed a kick would have won against Tampa Bay, and I'm like, oh, man, I don't trust this guy. And then he went on a huge run in the playoffs, you know, you know, getting the overtime kick and going three for three in the Super Bowl. Kicking is a weird yeah. thing, you know. It's a weird, weird thing. Yeah, yeah, it is. There's a funny yeah. highlight on the Saints Super Bowl video where right before he's about to kick the, kick the field goal in the NFC Championship game, you hear Adrian yelling, miss it, Hartley, miss it, Hartley, miss it for your boy. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yes, that's crazy. I never heard that. Did you? Uh, what about your Texas games? Uh, yeah, yeah. You know those were good too. Uh, the second year, we we missed on a couple opportunities we had too. The second year we played them. My junior year was good. Um, we came out. That was the first year I finally beat them. You know what I mean? So I felt good about that. Had a good game. Me and Joaquin and Glacier both had good games that game. Uh, Sam had a real good game that game. It was a lot of good players on that field. Man. I mean, we had Jermaine Gresham. Uh, they had uh, they had Jermichael Finley. You know, that tight end. You know, a lot of great players on the field that day. But definitely Texas game, just because, like I said, man, it's, I don't think there's anything in college football like the OU Texas game. You know, especially when a lot of guys from Texas go to Oklahoma and then come back. You know, they meet right in the middle. It's you know, fifty fifty. You know what I mean? That's always a big game. When did you know your junior year that you that the pro route was going to be the route for you? Did you know? Did was it af, a decision you made after the season, or was it something you knew during the season? Or when did you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, because I, I used to talk to a lot of guys. I used to talk to Mark Clayton. I talked to AD. There's different guys, you know, who went on to the league and listening to what you know. I would ask them, you know, what are that scout saying? You know what I mean? And this and that. You know, and after the first couple of games of the season, you know what I mean? I was getting real good feedback, you know what I'm saying? Everybody just wanted to make sure I was going to be healthy. And I knew, you know what I mean, that I, I'd already torn my ACL before, 
I knew that I already had a microfracture surgery, you know, right after my sophomore season, you know. So, you know, a lot of that played into it, too. You know, I was like, well, I don't want to come back to camp and get hurt again. And then nobody really wants to draft me, you know what I mean? So I was like, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and take my chance. You know, I know I'm capable of playing. I want to, you know, I want to make somebody's team while I'm at least healthy enough to make somebody's team, you know what I mean, to help secure my future, you know what I mean? So that's that's really what played mostly into that fact. You know, I talked to Coach Sumlin throughout the season. About midway through the season, you know, he told me, it's like, you know, you're going to have some decisions to make at the end of the season. You know, I'm I'm around with you with whatever you choose, you know, but I'm just letting you know, you know, you're going to have some decisions to make. So, you know. Do you like feel, I said, the injury thing, that was pretty much what pushed me over the top more than anything was that. Did you, did you see what Sam went through and kind of think like, yeah, that definitely confirms I made the right decision? You know, when you see a guy, Heisman Trophy winner, decides to come back for his senior year and you just want the best for the guy and like right away in the first game. He, he yeah. has it, in, and then again, yeah. the Texas game, too. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like I said, man, it's just, let's see, in Sam's case, too, you know, and I'm sure Sam was thinking, you know, well, I've never had been seriously hurt before. I've never had a major injury, you know what I mean? So, you know, his thought process, you know what I mean, is probably a lot different from, you know, from mine, right. you know. Like I said, with all the surgeries and things like that, I'd, I'd have prior to that, so. I don't know. Him and, you know, Jermaine came back for it last year. He hurt his knee again. Yep. You know what I mean? But like I said, you know, those guys, those guys were still able to go, you know, and draft, you know, get drafted and still, you know, still playing to this day. You know, I just wasn't as fortunate. Yeah, and those guys were one good quarter away from winning the national championship, too, against Florida. You know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were. They were. Um, they were. We kind of talked a little bit about this before we got started, about the field in Washington, and there's been a lot of talk since RG3's injury there last year, the one that was kind of a non-contact injury on a really sloppy field, and he had sort of had some issues previously, so to blame it all on the field is probably not right, but for someone who's been injured on that field and played on that field, what do you think about the surface out there? Uh, You know, like I said, I I don't think, I just don't remember the field being that horrible, you know, it might have gotten worse. As time has went on, you know, but I think I think any field, and I guess especially that field, when it when it got wet, sometimes you know it did kind of get you know slippery and things like that. So I guess that could have you know, I guess uh, uh, may have you know made it more of a situation for him to get hurt, you know. But I don't ever think he like I said when I got hurt, I don't think it was the turf, you know. I got hurt on a. It was a bright, sunny day in September, you know what I mean, when I got hurt, you know, when I twisted my ankle. So I really don't know if, if the feel is that much of, a, of an issue. But like you said, you know, he tore his ACL before. And I just looking at it, I don't think anybody in America thinks he should have been out there on the field anyway. No. You know, okay. so, you know what I mean? So, I mean, a lot of that plays into that also. Did you feel like the training staff and you could never really get on the same page there? I, I read that maybe you thought that maybe they rushed you back a couple times and that kind of uh, I mean you know, I don't I really don't want to get into all that either you know yeah. what I mean I, what I do know though you know I do think that I think that in pretty much all cases you know all training staff work for the team so I mean you know what I mean at the end of the day the team wants to get you back 
as fast as they possibly can. So, I mean, yeah, you know, I did have a couple of issues, and I'm not going to go all the way into them, you know, but I think looking at rg three situation, I think you can look at that alone, you know what I mean, and that should answer a lot of questions that people have about situations like that. When you look back on your time in the NFL, what 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 makes you the angriest? Like, is there is is there something you wish you could have done or a game you wish you could have played? Like, when you look at your OU career, you can say, well, we got to that, we won that Big 12, we, we played in the BCS, we beat Texas. You know, maybe a lot of your goals, maybe not winning the national championship, but a lot of your goals you got. Is there something that you left on the table in the NFL that you wish your knees would have gave you a chance to accomplish? Uh, You know, I mean, like I said, it's, if it was just a situation, you know, where I just got out there and I just couldn't compete with guys, you know what I mean? I think I would be a lot more disappointed or a lot more, uh, you know, upset at the situation. But, you know, like I said, in my situation, it's something that I, I had no control of, you know what I mean? I can't. Every time I got hurt, nobody tackled me when I got hurt. You know what I mean? So it was always non-contact, you know? So it was definitely frustrating, though. You know, it's... um when you do something for so long and you, you know you have the ability to do something but your body doesn't let you do it, you know what I mean? I mean, you're just frustrated on all ends, you know what I mean? So if you wake up every day going to practice knowing you might not be able to practice or knowing that your knees swell up or knowing this, you know what I mean? So, and I think, you know, going into the league, you know, I think everybody wants to go to the league and play 10 years and have a successful career, you know, which I, I felt like, you know, I, I possibly could have done, you know what I mean? But like I said, you know, uh, my body just wouldn't allow me to do it, you know. So I, I think my first year out of the league, I probably could have answered that question and gave you ten thousand answers. You huh. know what I mean? Yeah. But it's just like the more and more I move away from it, you know, it's like just something I had to deal with. You know what I mean? I couldn't sit here and I can't sit here and dwell on. I can sit here and tell y'all better. I want to win two Super Bowls and make it to the Pro Bowl five times and this, this, and this. You know what I mean? But at the end of the day, you know, I'm still walking. So, yeah. Maybe kind of similar to Jason White. Both of his, I remember both of his ACLs were non-contact injuries. You know, maybe I'd have yeah. a similar conversation with him. Um, yeah, Mel, we're talking to Malcolm Kelly, who you can find on Twitter at King underscore Kelly eighty six. I was talking to a friend who, who played a pretty high level of hockey, and he was talking about how his whole life he was a, a hockey player, and everyone looked at him as that. And when it was time for it to end, it was really hard for him to adjust and kind of find his identity and find out what he was outside of being a hockey player. What was it like mm-hmm. for you, you know, in that same sense, being a football player and being a, a high recruit in high school, being a big player, being a big guy in college, getting to the NFL, and then having it taken away? Was it hard for you to discover who Malcolm Kelly was when he wasn't a football player anymore? You know, I mean, yeah, I mean... Because I guess, you know, even now, you know, like I said, I um, I started me a well service company, you know, so I've been doing that here for the last year, you know what I mean? But I still don't go into it with the same excitement and, you know, anticipation as I would as a game or, you know what I mean, something like that, you know? So it's real hard because that's all I've ever known, you know, is football, you know what I mean, from the time I wake up to the time I go to sleep. So trying to find something else, you know, it's hard to find something else that you're passionate about that you can do every single day. You know what I mean? So it is kind of difficult, you know what I mean? But like I say, you know, in in the grand scheme of things, man, I think you just have to realize that life goes on. You know what I mean? Football is great. I love it. It's the number one sport in the world to me. You know what I mean? But at the end of the day, you know what I mean? If you can't play it anymore, you know what I mean? It sucks to sit around the house every day and not do nothing. What do you You know what I mean? Even even if you can, even if you are able to do it, you know what I mean? It just kind of. You, know, you just got to get up and go find something. Do you do anything to keep 
your foot in the game at all? Do you do any coaching or any camps? Just do you, are you still a fan of football, or is it too? I mean, you... uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan. You know, yeah. I, mean, I, I think I'll always be a, a fan of football. You know, I joke with people all the time. I tell them that my first son has good knees. You know, what I'm saying that because they're gonna have to watch out. <laughs> no kidding, right? But, you know, it's, uh, you know it's, like I said, I, I'll always be a fan. You know what I mean? It's just like I said, it's, it's just like I. I, I can say that I never thought it would have ended the way it did, you know what I mean? And I never would have thought that that would have been the reason why it ended. But like I said, I mean, I from the time I started playing sports, man, I've missed time with, I mean, vertebrae injuries. I mean, just anything you can pretty much name, you know what I mean? So I knew, well, I mean, when I first got to Washington, I mean, one of my trainers told me, he said, your knees are going to be the end to your career. He told me that when I first got there. He was like, it might be three years, it might be six years, it might be ten years. So whatever you do, stop playing. It's going to be because of your knees. Well, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, and that must have been tough, huh? I mean, just to have that hanging over you that and and waiting for that almost in a way. Yeah, I mean, you know, because I, I even remember when I got to Washington. Um, when I first got to Washington, my very first practice, like after the practice, the trainer rushed me into the trainer, asked me how my knees were doing, and this, but I never complained to him about my knees hurting anything. Hmm. You know what I mean? But. They were just always so concerned with my knees, but I see why. You know what I mean? I see exactly why. So, like I said, man, I think at the end of the day, I had to recognize what the reality was. I had to be smart with what I was given. You know what I mean? And once I got a chance to try to turn that into something else, I had to make the right moves, you know, and that's what led me to what I'm doing now. Well, I kind of saved this for the end, and, and there's a reason. It's because, all right, I have to admit right now, I'm a pretty white, white guy. You know what I mean? But that doesn't mean that I'm not smart enough to know that that rap you did after the Nebraska game is one of the greatest things I've ever heard or seen. I mean, I that is literally like number eight on my top played on my iTunes. You know, like I, when I'm in a bad mood, I just play that because it's just like the coolest thing. Tell me about the infamous or famous Malcolm Kelly freestyle rap after in the Nebraska game? Uh, what's so crazy about that is um, <laughs> it's crazy because after every game, you know, I'm, I'm not a big dancer. You know what I mean? So after every game, if somebody does good, you know, everybody would call them out to the middle of the locker room to do a dance or something. So when they used to call me out after games, I would just always go up there and kick a little short freestyle, just talk, you know, kind of talk about what happened during the game. But there were never any cameras in there. <laughs> there was never any, you know, nothing like that. So after the Big 12 game, you know, like I had a good game. I, I was I was pretty hyped. And, um, you know, they just started hitting the beat. And I hit the freestyle. But I just had to watch myself because it was, I mean, the coaches had brought their wives in there, their children, you know. I mean, the media was in there, you know, cameras everywhere, you know what I mean? And like I said, the people just so happened to, you know, somebody just so happened to have a camera and then actually caught that one, you know what I mean? And then that, you know, it ended up making it to the web like that. What did you think but of I mean, Ronald Jenkins next? Have you heard the Ronald Jenkins, the remix to a remix beat that he put behind? Oh, yeah, man. I don't heard them all, man. Yeah. I heard them all. But like I said, when I first got back down here, man, people were telling me, I mean, it's ringtones, all kind of little stuff, man, you know, so... I heard all the remixes and everything. It's pretty. It's fun to me. It's entertaining to me. Now it's that fun. was That's something we've been doing our whole life, really. Everyone always asks me that. That was totally just on the cuff, right? I mean, yeah, it was just you know. I mean, 
you just start hitting the beat, and I just, you know what I mean? It's just straight freestyle. Like, I didn't write none of it down or nothing like that. Okay, so then I heard also that when you got to the NFL that you and Fred Smoot used to do a lot of rapping together. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, we did. Me and him and Fred, me and Fred and me, Fred David. Very nice. So it did. It wasn't something that ended. So that means you're probably still doing it, which means it wouldn't be crazy. Ah, no, 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 You're retired? No, I pretty much, yeah. I mean, I might do a little something when I'm riding around in my truck or something like that, but besides that, no, I keep that, you know, I don't do it like that. Oh, really? So there's no chance we can have a little sportscasters freestyle rap here? Oh, no, 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 <laughs> no. no. All right. No, I, I, I wasn't quite prepared for that. Well, that's the idea, right? I said that's the idea. You're not supposed to be prepared for it, right? Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. But you know, like I said, I had I hadn't done it in a while. Well, I, I was, don't want to get on here. And sound, I don't want to get on here and sound too trash. I saw this. Uh, I saw this clip of Will Smith on some TV show doing the Fresh Prince rap. And I was uh-huh. thinking, you know, like in in five years, we need to get Malcolm back in the locker room after a Big Twelve win, and you got to redo the the OU rap. <laughs> So, yeah, that, that might, yeah. Do you yeah. have a favorite line from it? We'll see how that goes. What's that? Do you have a favorite line from it? Uh, I'm trying to think of it now, and I'm trying to play it back in my head now. Oh, don't worry about that. You don't have to think about it. Here, let's play it right now. Let me get it. Oh, man. Here, let's, let's, I want to get your reaction. Let's listen to it together, and then I want to hear what you think about it. You ready? Here we go. Uh, Boys is getting quiet, gonna get crunk. Yeah. Head back to Longview, Kelly popping trunk. Yeah. I ain't even tripping, yeah. riding and I'm sipping. Yeah. Let me come through, four foes that are tipping. Yeah. Yeah. Run that new lap, yeah. watch the trunk crack. Yeah. Let me sit sideways, see be running back. Yeah. Maybe AP, yeah. maybe AD. Yeah. I ain't even tripping cause we some athletes. Yeah. Messing with Smitty yeah. in the summertime. Yeah. He get pissed if we don't make our time. Yeah. But we gonna get it, cause we gotta finish. Yeah. Nebraska horn hustles, man. We diminished. Yeah. Put them boys little. Yeah. I ain't like a skittle. Yeah. I ain't even tripping. I ain't never double dribble. Yeah. Cause I'm a player from the Himalaya. Yeah. Let me sit sideways, man. Maybe back door. Maybe fall off. Yeah. Sipping codeine cause I gotta kill the cold. Yeah. Let me sit sideways in the big bins. Oh, yeah. you boys. They my brothers. They my friends. Holla yeah. at Coach Sumlin. Holla yeah. at the Stoops. Yeah. Let me sit sideways in the Tudo coupe. Yeah. Cause I'm sitting clean. Yeah. Foes on the lead. Yeah. Look at my pants. Got a sag in my I love I love the sag in my jean line. That's the greatest. That is the coolest thing, man. The coolest thing. So what so listen back. What, what I heard you reacting to a few lines there. What do you think when you listen back to it? Yeah, uh, the messing with Smitty in the summertime, he get pissed if we don't make our time. Right. So strength and conditioning uh, coach, right? Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, that that was pretty good. It's because, like I said, Smitty gave us hell during the summertime, man. Right. It, and you got it, Coach Sumlin in there. You got Stoops. You got Adrian in yeah, there. Yeah, I got Coach Sumlin in there. Right. Got Coach Stoops in there. At that time, Coach Stoops had a white beam of coop that he was driving around. He had a white Beamer coupe. He always switched <laughs> Beamers. He had some deal with the BMW. He always switched BMWs out. Sweet. So that's where I got that from. Coach Summer was just my favorite coach, so that's why I threw him in there. Uh huh. And what about? Uh, uh, let's see. You got AD and AP. So that's uh, was that Adrian Peterson and Alan Patrick, or was it? Yep, yeah. yep. Adrian Peterson and Alan Patrick. Actually, I said CB too. Chris Brown. Chris Brown. Oh, so I you got all three first. running backs in there. 
Yeah, for him first, then I did. Then, uh, let me see. Tell Everybody me. likes to sip and codeine because I got a killer cough part. Yeah, everyone loves that. That is great. Yeah, yeah, but definitely, you know. I like, like the I said, man, What's crazy is that me, AD, Mar- I mean, I mean, AD freestyle one time, man. We sat in the back of a truck one time, freestyle so long. That's really all we used to do. A lot of the guys from Texas, you know, we would just sit around and just, you know, just start freestyling. You know what I mean? That's just stuff that we, that's just, you know. Who, That's just how, you know, what we did growing up, you know what I mean? So it who was are your favorite rappers? Who do you listen to? Who are your guys? Who, who like, inspired the Malcolm Kelly rap? What what rappers are you uh, into? Um, growing up, like, all the Houston rappers, you know what I mean? Big Hawk, UGK, uh, Scarface, you know, now I mean T.I., Devin the Dude, Jeezy, you know what I mean? Those guys. Big Crit, now he jammed. I like him a whole lot. But especially, like I said, the UGK, Screwed Up Click, Scarface, those guys. Biggie. Malcolm, yeah. I got to say, this is awesome, man. I kept you a little bit longer than I asked. I really appreciate the time. Like I said, I was a, you, were my, you were my guy from day one when you stepped on the field at OU. And we don't, we don't interview a lot of athletes on the show. We kind of interview a lot more sports writers and stuff, but... This yeah. is a this is a huge honor. Thanks so much for doing it. It's at King Kelly underscore at King underscore Kelly eighty six on Twitter. You can find Malcolm there and tell him what your favorite line in the rap is. And we really appreciate you doing this. Thanks so much, man. <laughs> okay, man. Appreciate you, man. Thanks, buddy. All right, we have to thank our guest today, Jeff Passan from Yahoo Sports. Looking forward to his new book. Uh, he says 2014, definitely looking forward to that. Also, Malcolm Kelly from the Oklahoma Sooners and the Washington Redskins. Kind of interesting to hear Malcolm kind of throw the uh, Washington Redskins training staff under the bus there a little bit. Yeah. He that's... kind of didn't go all the way, but he kind of basically said it by saying, you know, look at the rg3 situation and does anyone think that he should have been on the field well that was was my first thought when you said we were going to get him in because you had kind of talked about well i'm like my first thought was well what are we going to talk about other than his rap his rap (laughs) and you said he he was kind of outspoken about the field and some other things and then when you said it was more the training staff it's like oh that's just yeah i was i thought there would be more negativity from him based on the field in Washington because that's where he was injured and that's where RG3 was injured in a non-contact injury. But he kind of said, you know, it was a beautiful sunny day. The field was fine to yeah. me. You know, he focused more on – he clammed up when I started pressing him about were you ready to come back when you came up. That's where he really didn't want to go too far into it. But right, he right. said everything he needed to say without saying it. Yep. So it will be interesting to see uh, what the reaction is from the listeners if you have any – Thoughts on that, you can email us at sportscasters at gmail.com. You can find our shows at www.sports-casters.com and on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. And you can find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. All right, one more thing for me today. Uh, I've talked a little bit about this in this segment before, that summer means concerts to me in a big degree, and my summer concert series kind of starts tonight. After we finish up here, I'm going to go down to the Buffalo Harbor on the waterfront, kind of under the skyway, and watch Guns N' Roses, if you want to call them that. Uh, at this point, what Guns N' Roses is, is Axl Rose and a bunch of other guys 
playing Guns N' Roses songs from the beginning to the end of their catalog, including the Chinese Democracy album, which obviously only really included Axel from the original lineup. And I thought you mentioned a tweet from a local radio host, The Bulldog, here, which I really thought was a great point. He said, if a local cover band was playing all Guns N' Roses songs, I might think that that was cool. Right. If I found out Axl Rose was singing for them, it would be worth 40 bucks. Yep. And I think that that's kind of where I'm at with it. To me, it is what it is. It's Axl Rose who owns the name to the band and decided to play under that name, playing the Guns N' Roses songs that he's going to play. And to me, it's essentially going to see Axl Rose, who's only performed here twice. He performed here in 1991 when Guns N' Roses toured with Metallica in the big stadium tour oh, that's yeah. now infamous. He, they played here that then, and he's playing here tonight, and that's really it. So it's a performer who doesn't come around this way much, playing essentially in my backyard for 40 bucks, and to me, it's a no-brainer. So I'm going to go down and, and, and check it out, and I expect to be entertained appropriately. I mean, it will be... I'm not going in there, and I'm sure that there will be people there who expect Slash to be there. <laughs> you know, people who don't know that Slash hasn't played with this band and Duff hasn't played with this band. Duff, who was on the show before. Right. And Izzy hasn't played with this band. And Matt Sorum, they haven't played together in years. You know, and if you've been lucky enough to be at one of the shows where Izzy played with this band once or twice, a song or two, or Duff played with this band in England, a song or two, and he talked about that on the show, well, then good for you. But... That's not going to happen for me, so I'm going to go down and check it out. And maybe someday if Slash is here uh, with Velvet Revolver or just playing under the name Slash, I'll go down and check out what he has to offer. But that's not available. And to me, for a relatively inexpensive price for concerts of $40, I'll go. I'll check it out. I know what it is. I'm going to take it for what it's worth. And, you know, it'll be what it is. Yeah, put it this way. If I had the choice of seeing Guns N' Roses with the whole band and a different singer or the singer with a different band, I mean, I hope I Pearl Jam never breaks time. up, but right. I mean, I'm going to follow Eddie if they do and not the rest of the guys. But uh, I heard like a Linkin Park lead singer is doing Stone, Stone Temple Pilots. Pilots. Yep. Yeah. They have in- a song out. Not interested. I'm not interested either. No. Uh, one last thing for me, I'll keep it short and sweet because I don't like, talking when i'm not feeling good so i'm gonna i'm gonna whine a little bit uh being sick sucks and it especially sucks no shit when you're sick yeah i know (laughs) look who i'm talking to look who uh being sick sucks when you're sick and your wife is sick and your baby's not i would would never want molly to be sick but uh that poor little girl doesn't understand why we're sitting around on the couch not being all that entertaining come on dad play with me what's wrong so I give a lot of props to – this is the part while I turn it around. I give a lot of props to single parents out there because every time you're sick, you're the only one that's taking care of that little guy or girl, and it's brutal, even with, with two. So uh, hopefully I'll get some drugs in me or whatever, some vitamin C or whatever I need, and I'll be back in action. Yeah, get better for next week because it could be a big week for us. Yes. Hopefully it, it will be, and uh, that's it. Thanks for listening to my annoying voice.